African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Good morning once again. Thank you for joining us on uh, this uh, Wednesday. Uh, thank you for joining us on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa. That's if you're listening to us on our main uh, shortwave service into Sub-Saharan Africa. And if you're listening to us on DSTV, uh, don't forget we're on channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Uh, you can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, uh, today we're going to be looking at the United States, but I want to thank everyone who continued the conversations yesterday on our Facebook page where we were looking at uh, the protests that uh, were taking place in Sudan. And we asked the question, do you think protests are the only way Africans can be heard uh, by their leaders? Uh, more thoughts came from you. So thank you to Saddam Ahmed Kubey, who was speaking to us there, and Manuel Sunday. Let me read one from Manuel Sunday. Who says generally protests aren't good to follow, but African leaders don't know the importance of dialogue. They can't imagine how much dialogue and they avoid it. Uh, protests are used because of the ignorance of our leaders. There's no way uh, then doing that, which is protesting. Well, uh, very sad that we only heard as Africans when we do protest. But let's move on to the question that we're asking today, and we're asking around the issue of Donald Trump. We're looking at the government shutdown. We know that it was one of the longest uh, shutdowns in history. And uh, this is all around uh, Donald Trump wanting money uh, for his wall between his country and uh, Mexico. What are your thoughts around that particular issue? Uh, do you think that Donald Trump is doing the right thing in trying to enforce some of the promises he made uh, uh, during his uh, uh, presidential campaign? What are your thoughts around that? Give us your thoughts on our Channel Africa Facebook Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. The question we're asking there is do you think Donald Trump is doing the right thing in enforcing some of the promises he made during his presidential campaign? I also struggle with how the U.S. population works because this was a mandate that they put upon their own president and it seems like now that the man is trying to actually make things happen. Everyone is turning their backs on him but they did actually vote for him in terms of wanting him to do uh, some of these particular promises. What are your thoughts? Go to our Facebook page. It's simply titled Channel Africa and give us your thoughts. Well, uh, joining us uh, right now on uh, the line, we've got uh, Lukman Otunuga, who is a research analyst at uh, Forex Time, uh, joining us from London, if I'm not mistaken. And also, if I'm not mistaken, we're trying to guess Thomas Gift. I think we have him on Skype. Yes, we do. As Thomas Gift is a, a political scientist and lecturer at the University. University College London. Well, let me start with you, Thomas, uh, before I go to Lukman. Thank you for joining us there on the Skype. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. 
Well, you wrote on this particular issue for the conversation, and I think that you highlight very interesting things around this particular uh, shutdown, Thomas. I mean, what stood out for you in terms of this particular uh, government shutdown? Uh, I saw the insistence and also kind of the uh, domineering um, personality of Donald Trump during this particular shutdown, his almost one-man approach in his government. Well, I think what struck me more than anything was the lack of a plan uh, that Donald Trump had uh, from the beginning. Uh, He said uh, right around the Christmas holiday that he would be proud to take the mantle of owning the government shutdown. And indeed, the Democrats did blame him uh, for that. And public opinion, I think, also blamed him for that as well. And so as the shutdown wore on and uh, it became increasingly unpopular among the American public, Donald Trump eventually decided that he really had no other option uh, but to reopen the government, reopen uh, negotiations with the Democrats, and hope something improves with that dialogue uh, going forward. But ultimately, what what struck me was the fact that Donald Trump didn't seem to have a, a plan in place from the beginning, and it really showed by the end. And Thomas, just to stick to that particular point, what does that say around where Donald Trump finds himself currently? Is he in a precarious situation where more and more of his decision-making plans are actually now shown in the public domain that there's no real structure to the man's thinking? Well, I think he's very much in a precarious uh, situation. He's kind of been a rock in a hard place, so to speak. Um, really, his only two options uh, going forward, I think, are to uh, shut down uh, the government again or uh, decide that he's going to back down from one of his signature campaign uh, pledges, and that is to build this uh, border wall, which is ostensibly very popular uh, with his base. There is another option that he's floated as a possibility, and indeed he may actually follow through on, and that is uh, to declare a national emergency. Um, in order to secure funds to build this border wall. That itself, though, uh, would open up a whole set of uh, legal challenges uh, and also would uh, create quite a bit of controversy, I think, uh, among both the American public and the Congress. Well, let me bring Lukman into the conversation. That's uh, Lukman Otunoga, research analyst, joining us on the line. Uh, Every week and every time Donald Trump seems to open his mouth to make another decision, it seems like uh, everyone doesn't know what's coming next, Lukman. I mean, when you look at this government shutdown, which wasn't expected at the end of the year last year, despite the fact that we knew uh, that Donald Trump was very insistent on building this uh, wall between Mexico and the U.S., U.S. and the costs are huge now for uh, the the U.S. when it comes to its, its economy. We know that around 11 billion dollars. It's how much it's actually uh, lost. Uh, that's the economy of the U.S. Thank you for having me here today, Benjamin. Yeah, so we're seeing that the U.S. economy is expected to lose roughly 11 billion from the partial government shutdown, with annual growth revised down to 0.2 percent. We're seeing a wide range of guesstimates around around these predictions, but the broad takeaway is that the shutdown is very bad for the U.S. economy. Um, I believe that the shutdown actually came at the worst possible time. Um, We're dealing in a period where the U.S. economy is grappling with external risks in the form of trade tensions, Brexit-related uncertainties and ongoing fears over global growth. Um, Domestically, we have concerns over the effects of fiscal stimulus fading while 
Many markets and investors are still trying to assess what impacts last year's aggressive monetary policy tightening has actually had on the U.S. economy. So personally, I do not feel that the government shutdown may spark a recession in the United States, but the corrosive impacts may actually draw the United States closer to a deceleration. And also in terms of the response to the markets to the U.S. economy, Lukman, how did that play out? So the the market reaction was very interesting because one thing we have to keep in mind is that um, the government shutdown has actually prevented a lot of government data which would generally tell us how the U.S. is performing from being released. So we have a sense there's a confounding ignorance about the the current performance of the U.S. economy, a data fog. So this uncertainty has actually been reflected in the market. So we can say that uh, traders are looking blind right now until probably the end of the month, until we have uh, more economic data to really assess what impacts the government shutdown has actually had on the U.S. economy. Personally, looking at things... um, With how things have played out, um, the government shutdown is likely to impact consumer spending and confidence, which naturally will feed back to GDP while businesses may postpone investments. So this is all quite bad news for the U.S. economy. Well, let me take a quick break and we'll be back with you, gents, after this break. And I want to look at some of the points that uh, Thomas has uh, uh, brought forward in his latest uh, piece uh, titled Trump has caved and reopened the government, but at a huge cost to the Republicans. When I look at the shift in the dynamics between Congress, uh, where does this particular issue lead to uh, the changes that we also saw in the midterm voting last year? How does that actually change uh, the decision-making prowess of uh, Donald Trump? Uh, We also know that his uh, population polls have been actually uh, dipping very much. So what's happening in that uh, particular uh, flow of uh, issues? Well, we'll deal with those questions after this break. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Again, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Remember, we are on various platforms on Shortwave, on DSTV in South Africa and neighboring SADC countries. And internationally, you can listen to us on our website on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're looking at Donald Trump's uh, uh, 
cancellation of the U.S. government shutdown, uh, which actually lasted for around uh, uh, five weeks. And it's said to be one of the longest government shutdown in history. And there's a lot of implications, as we've heard from both the Thomas Gift, political scientist and lecturer at the University uh, College London. And we're also joined on the line by Lukman Otonuga, who's a research analyst at Forex Time. We're getting both of the economic and political consequences of uh, this particular shutdown. And also, Donald Trump seems to find himself at a very, very strange point in his uh, presidential career. And I mean, he hasn't been president for a long time, but we're seeing the growth of his uh, unpopularity currently. And uh, we're seeing also changes in the dynamic uh, uh, political makeup of the parties uh, within uh, Congress. Well, let me come to you, Thomas, in terms of uh, the consequences, not only being economical around this particular shutdown, but they could also have political implications. I think it's going to certainly have uh, big political uh, implications. One thing that's really striking about Donald Trump is that he has a very solid uh, base behind him. Uh, These are conservatives who believe in Donald Trump, and pretty much whatever he's done up until this point, um, they've followed him. I personally don't think there's any reason to necessarily believe that uh, it would be opposite if for some reason Donald Trump uh, backed down from a a wall, but uh, that's still, I think, very much an open question at this point. Now, it is an open question, but I'm wondering how the midterm elections will also actually change the dynamics of uh, uh, the decision-making abilities of Donald Trump because there uh, we actually saw uh, the Democrats making a net gain of at least 40 seats. Um, uh, How does this change the game in terms of uh, how uh, Donald Trump can make decisions and could we see uh, a fallout of sorts here, Uh, maybe a, a throw Uh, an overthrow of the man? Well, I think you're absolutely right. The midterm elections really did change the political landscape uh, in the United States, and I think uh, quite dramatically. What Donald Trump is now facing is divided government. He still holds uh, the Senate by a narrow majority, the Republicans do, uh, but the House is now in the hands of uh, the Democrats. And so as we're seeing, this divided government comes with a certain degree of accountability. And so all of a sudden, Donald Trump, who is used to getting his agenda uh, pushed through, uh, is not able to do so so easily. Uh, And this is really the first time we've seen that accountability uh, come to a head uh, with the president. And how, Lukman, let me come to you, how does that unpredictability in terms of uh, governance in the U.S. actually create a more of uh, uncertainty within the markets because the policy direction could be scattered from here on? Yes, um, there's a saying, um, when the largest economy in the world sneezes, everybody else catches a cold. And this is the classical case of the United States. Um, the uncertainty is seen negatively impacting GDP. So signs of a slowdown in the United States will most definitely impact um, growth in developing nations. However, this is a double-edged sword because 
when the United States slows, um, this may force the Federal Reserve to adopt a more cautionary stance on monetary policy normalization, and the expectations already remain elevated over the Fed taking a pause on raising rates this year. So such a development could be a welcome development for emerging markets as this limits capital outflows. But however, though, a slowdown in the U.S. economy activity can impact growth in trading partners and directly decrease import demand. So there's two ways to look at this. Well, let's go to Brooke Spector, the associate editor at Daily Maverick and a retired American diplomat uh, based here in South Africa. Brooks, thanks for giving us your time as well, and welcome to the program. Uh, good morning. Good to be with you. I'm sorry I didn't hear the other comments in full uh, before you, you swung over to me, but uh, we'll go with what we got. Sure. Uh, you know, with your perspective, is it's more of an international relations viewpoint that I wanted to get from you, Brooks, in terms of the international uh, policy that Donald Trump is embarking upon that's very evident in his isolationism here, especially with his relationship with Mexico. And this particular insistence on this particular war, from where I sit in, as an outsider, it came through his campaigning. And what I'm asking even on my Facebook page is, shouldn't the... Uh, um, U.S. Uh, economy or citizens rather insist that he actually fulfills this particular promise as much as uh, we are seeing uh, a polarization within uh, the United States. Yeah, interesting issue. Uh, I mean, let, let's be clear, however, uh, the quote-unquote wall is not something that's favored by a majority of the American citizens. All the polling tells you this. Uh, and it hasn't been a favored policy for, uh, pretty much since it has been proposed. Uh, it is, however, uh, something of a, a sacred object for those people who are now called his base, that is, his supporters through thick, thin, uh, uh, reality, delusion, whatever you want to say. And at current circumstances, that base of supporters uh, if the most recent polling speaks to uh, somewhere in the mid-30s. Of course, you don't win elections with 30-some percent of the vote. You have to have 50% plus one more person to win an election. Um, and Mr. Trump, for whatever reason, seems fixated on building and, re- and retaining the support of his base rather than the normal uh, plans of most presidents, which has been to expand outward by incorporating more and more people into a larger vision. Um, and it plays out internationally because the wall is a stand-in for a whole series of other internationally oriented policies uh, that come under the general rubric of America First. Um, America First as a term has has an historical association that is not very pleasant, and I don't think Donald Trump knew that at the time. But what it has meant in practice is that rather than the standard collection of alliances and partnerships uh, and international or multilateral initiatives that had been built up really since World War II, uh, the Trump administration took it upon itself to see every relationship as transactional in nature, transactional in the sense of if you have a business relationship and, you, and you're and you pushing harder for a discount to buy supplies, uh, you're not really worried about the morality 
and the long-term friendship of the supplier as mm. much as mm. you are of the cost. And to Donald Trump, every international relationship that has an economic texture to it has a winner, mm. but it has a loser. Mm. And the traditional view for most American policymakers has always been create those relationships that give you win-win uh, outcomes rather than I won, you lost, now you know we'll talk again. Uh, and as you see that with Mexico, but you also see it with uh, with the with the NATO partners. You also mm -hmm. see it mm -hmm. with Japan, South Korea, uh, and on and on. Now there's some exceptions to this, mm -hmm. and I mean, we you know we can talk about those too, uh, notably in the Middle East. Uh, but by and large, it has meant that no previously agreed on idea uh, was continued to be agreed upon mm. and everything was up for grabs mm. now if, if you're the if you're in the foreign ministry of a country in western europe this gives you great pause if you're in the foreign ministry in seoul south korea this keeps you up at night so if you're in the foreign ministry in beijing um this also can be unsettling because the 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 standard perspective is no longer standard and that's why you have, in part, this push for a better trade relationship with China because they're stealing America's technology, uh, they're stealing America's intellectual property, mm -hmm. they cheat on the prices, they, they, uh, they dump their products. Dumping is simply another way, of, it's a florid way of saying that uh, a country is selling a product at less than its cost of production knowingly to gain market share rather than to gain a profit on the individual sales. So, you know, I want to come back to, to that particular dynamic because you're seeing that international factor that Brooks is highlighting, Thomas, coming back to you, but also you're seeing intra-politics playing at hand here. And you're seeing now the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, almost becoming the other powerhouse. That's where the center of power also lies with the uh, changes within Congress. And uh, it seems like that popularity is going to now be very central in how this wall issue moves forward, but also on policymaking. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, listen to Humanity, Women in Unity, an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity with Dr. Amalea Gonez-Malka every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements. The voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. We have a great uh, uh, 
lineup today with the great people on the line. Thomas Give, political scientist and lecturer at the University College London, is also an analyst writing for various publications. And also we've got Luke Manotonuga, research analyst at Forex Time and Brooks Spector is on the line, the associate editor at Ma- Daily Maverick in South Africa. Well, Thomas, I was asking you those particular issues. I know that Brooks was speaking very much uh, comprehensively on the international dynamics and how uh, Donald Trump's presidency has affected it on the economic front, but also in the geopolitics that we're seeing playing out currently. But also what's interesting is the intrapolitics of the USA. And I was asking you the fact that now we're seeing Nancy Pelosi seeming to be another powerhouse or uh, someone who has uh, a hand here at, at play because he seems to be dominating with the changes that we've seen after the midterm elections. How important do you think Nancy Pelosi's role is going to be uh, versus uh, the, the Donald Trump figure? I know that some are talking about that he's putting tight grip on uh, conversations around uh, Donald Trump's impeachment and uh, there's others who are, are talking about the fact that polls are showing that uh, Nancy Pelosi has more of a popularity um, favor uh, versus Donald Trump. What are your thoughts versus those two figures, especially in context of uh, international policy and what's happening with this particular wall that we, uh, Donald Trump wants to see erected in the U.S.? Well, I think Nancy Pelosi has certainly emerged as a a chief and worthy adversary uh, for Donald Trump going forward. The interesting aspect of this is that there were many within her own party who were suggesting that she wasn't necessarily uh, the best suited individual to be uh, the Speaker of the House. And I think uh, coming out of this shutdown, if anything, she's emerged uh, extremely uh, strong and uh, more than that, uh, emboldened. I think time still remains to be seen about how uh, aggressive uh, she is and the other Democrats are in pursuing uh, various investigations and even the possibility of impeachment and so on and so forth. But at the very least, I think Donald Trump uh, has uh, met uh, his match, um, sort of a Democrat from San Francisco um, who can negotiate and, and fight uh, just as hard uh, as he can. So when it comes to the president's agenda, both uh, domestically and internationally, I think he's going to be um, in a lot more difficult uh, position getting uh, various policies through than he has been in the past. Well, before I come to back to uh, Lukeman, let me ask you, Brooks, what are your thoughts between that particular narrative that puts uh, um, Pelosi and Trump as adversaries? Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, I think it's important to realize that Nancy Pelosi had vast experience as a politician and in making deals and reach and negotiations and reaching conclusions for decades. And she learned politics as a child. Her father was the mayor of the city of Baltimore when she was just a kid. And uh, Baltimore's politics were particularly, quote unquote, tribal and uh, intricate, and Byzantine even, and her father was a master of that, and, and she learned how to do it. And in the, in the House of Representatives, it was absolutely clear that systematically she built up the, the, part, the relationships within the party so that any objection to her regaining the speakership were really symbolic rather than, than, uh, than actual. Uh, she's got to contend with, as your other uh, guest points out, she's got to contend with a party that 
covers a fairly wide gradient uh, of ideologies from people on the democratic socialist left to uh, some of the more conservative re uh, Democrats in states that in other elections have gone Republican, as well as an emerging coalition of suburban, better educated uh, uh, citizens and voters around the big cities uh, that might have been Republican a generation or two ago, but very clearly are now shifting Democratic. But what it has done is that it showed that Donald Trump's lack of experience in the political world and the lack of experience of the people around him allowed him to be absolutely outplayed by Nancy Pelosi in this government shutdown and in the fact that when it, when at least this round of it was done, uh, the end result was we were back exactly where the Democrats had said they were before the shutdown. No wall funding um, and government employees back to work, and we still need a comprehensive deal on immigration. Those three pillars are, are right, right where we were. Well, that unpredictability is something that uh, comes back to you, Lookman. I know that a committee of lawmakers are said to actually comprise of two of the two major parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, uh, in an open meeting today, later, uh, to look at a compromise uh, on border security issues uh, before the 15 February deadline. Um, from your perspective, are the markets dependent on these issues, or is it very peripheral, or is it business as usual when it comes to the, the U.S., or is there still some conservative uh, kind of approach to the, the U.S. markets? Um, I believe the element of uncertainty over the political developments, especially as happening in Washington, may have some downside risks on the dollar, and this uncertainty is likely to encourage investors to offload the dollar. However, when we're looking at the bigger picture, especially the dollar's outlook, um, it still remains heavily influenced by monetary policy speculation. Um, as I said earlier, the government shutdown has prevented a lot of important economic data from the United States being released. So there's a data fog right here with investors waiting to see what impacts the government shutdown has actually had on the United States. Um, this evening, though, I feel markets will be paying very close attention to the FOMC statement. Naturally, monetary policy is expected to be left unchanged. But what investors will be looking very close at to see if, if there's any signs of the Fed actually moving forward with taking a pause on raising interest rates this year. Okay, what's the way forward? We'll ask that question when we come back as a wrap-up question. And if you're just joining us now, uh, that was the voice of Luke Menotonuga, research analyst at Forex Time. Alongside him is Brooks Spector, the associate editor at Daily Maverick. And also we have Thomas Gift, also joining us from London. He's a political scientist and lecturer and analyst at the uh, University College London. We'll take a quick break and then we'll get our final segment of this conversation. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1,000 African Voices, 
every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1,000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Attention to our listeners. The first hour of Africa Digest will not be broadcast on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. The 1700-hours show will only be found on shortwave and online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Please note that this only applies to the 1700-hours Central African Time show. The 1900-hour Central African Time program will be back on all the platforms. Channel Africa giving you an African perspective. Well, we'll see that uh, if we can uh, get uh, our final commentary from all our guests just in terms of the way forward. I mean, we only have five minutes left of this conversation. Um, Let me start with uh, you, Thomas. Uh, I want to know from you, I mean, uh, the popularity loss of Donald Trump is not a good thing for him right now. Um, The uncertainty around what to do with this particular wall issue is also uncertain. And uh, do you think, because of those shifts that we were talking about, um, you and uh, you and Brooks uh, in Congress, do you see this guy actually being uh, uh, toppled, being removed through uh, uh, a, a vote of sorts in Congress, or do you still see the reign of Donald Trump being a possibility after this compromise position that he put uh, some of uh, uh, the, the U.S. citizens in through this shutdown? Well, I think um, it's it's very difficult to say um, what Donald Trump uh, will do in the position that he is right now. I think he has indicated, and it's becoming more and more a possibility, that he actually will declare um, a state of national emergency and try to secure funds uh, to use this to build his wall, whether he gets uh, approval uh, or not. With regards to the other questions, what Trump's administration looks like uh, going forward, I think that depends on a lot of factors. One, uh, certainly the results of the uh, Mueller investigation about alleged um, collusion with Russia and what that speaks to. Depending on the results, Democrats could uh, make a decision about whether they want to go uh, with impeachment or um, other uh, ways to try to uh, oust the president uh, through that process. At the very least, um, going into the the 2020 election, um, I think uh, Donald Trump has uh, reason to be uh, concerned. His approval ratings uh, have dipped fairly uh, significantly, uh, especially coming out of this government shutdown. And that's especially the case in key swing states, which, of course, uh, he needs to hold in order to win uh, the Electoral College. So it's not to say that Trump uh, can't make uh, a comeback here. It's just to say that uh, his path to victory, um, looking ahead to the next election, I think, is probably getting uh, narrower and narrower as we go along. Lukman, your predictions? Um, so what we're looking at right now is, of course, the government is open on until at least February the 15th. Um, if we do have a situation where Donald Trump actually um, 
sparks another government shutdown. This will be very negative for the dollar as concerns start to heighten over the United States potentially decelerating into uh, entering a recession. Um, such will force the Federal Reserve to actually take a pause on raising interest rates, and this would f- cause the dollar to weaken further. Let me give our African resident uh, Brooks uh, Spectre a final say. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, uh, the so-called uh, declaration of a state of emergency uh, is a non-starter. Uh, historians will point to the fact that uh, in the Korean War, Harry Truman, the president, then wanted uh, had decided that it was important to uh, nationalize the steel industry, uh, vital for war production and so forth, uh, against gouging of prices or strikes by by workers went right to the Supreme Court very quickly, and it was overturned. Uh, The Trump perception of a national crisis at the border is a chimera, uh, and it will not get through the courts, and uh, it will not happen that way. It's a bargaining chip uh, that he has, but it's not a very good one. It's a pretty low-value chip. Um, The Congress, on the other hand, wants to get some sort of resolution on immigration issues, even if it means coming up with some money for heightening border security, which is not something that most people disagree with. They just don't agree with the idea of this wall or steel barrier. Uh, As far as Donald Trump's future prospects, um, it really hangs, as one of your other guests uh, noted, uh, on the Robert Mueller uh, Special Prose- Independent mm. Prosecutor's Report over mm. the next number of months, whether it's next month or six months from now, no one actually knows. If the case is made that there was a ring of people in the Trump campaign mm. and uh, early in the administration that had found ways illicitly to cooperate with Russia in destabilizing or shifting or skewing or somehow affecting the election, uh, Donald Trump may be toast. Absent that, though, uh, we're going to see a slowly withering presidency, uh, but Donald Trump is not a man who has a broad strategic vision, and it's going to give many opportunities for impulsive choices and actions, and therein lies some of the danger. Well, thank you so much, James, for giving us your time. Uh, that was the voice there of Brooke Spector, the associate editor at Daily Maverick. Thank you as well to Luke Tonuga, research analyst at Forex Time. Uh, lastly, but not least, thanks to Thomas Gift, political scientist and lecturer at the University College London. Thank you all for giving us your commentary. Thank we you. really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Fantastic. 